Welcome to Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joined on the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Hey, good evening, everybody. Good evening to you. We have Todd Young. Todd, are you with us? Yes, I'm here, barely, but I'm here. He's barely there. Um, very nice. And we have Gavin from St. Croix Rods. Hi, Gavin. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening to you. All right. These plugs or sponsors. This show is brought to you by Fatty Z Muskie Products. FattyZMuskie.com is the website. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And let's see here. It has been an incredible couple weeks for rod holders. So incredible that I'm literally running out of down east. And after several emails and a couple phone calls, I'm going to be getting some more next week. Uh, those down east go into our very own special tippable bases. Uh, probably the best musky rod holder you're going to have out there. Uh, if you don't believe me, just ask me and I'll tell you. There, that's how good it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I have I just put a whole bunch more uh, rail mounts and the S10 mounts back up. On the website, uh, I actually got like three calls today about those two very specific models. And uh, I'm setting up boats in Canada right now. I'm setting up boats in Jersey. I've been, oh, it's been, it's been nuts. It's been crazy. And um, it must just be that time of year. So any questions about a boat setup, feel free to reach out and uh, contact us. If you have any questions, I will gladly walk you through the process of a boat setup, even if that means I recommend a competitor's product and the baits uh, we don't really have too many baits we do have a couple show colors left over but um you can find some baits probably limited inventory at this point at musky tackle online and team rhino outdoors and with that i am going to shut up because we got a really great guest today and muddy creek hit up I'm going to go real quick here. Muddy Creek Fishing Guys, mcfishingguys.com. Get hold of Vance or I and, uh, you know, check out our website. We're going to be fishing starting two days from now and uh, right on through till November up on Chautauqua Lake, New York. And uh, we're open, open for business, and we ain't shutting down. We'll put it that way. So Full steam ahead. Us. Full steam ahead. I don't care what happens. We're going to go for it. We are COVID-19 ready. We have masks available if somebody wants them. We're going to wipe down. We got everything ready to go. We're going to be legal. The only real thing is we're going to be limited to two people per boat, which is not that big of a deal to us because it's kind of nice when you only have two people. So we're not going to be taking charges with three people this season. So By two people, uh, do you mean you and another person? Me. Yeah, myself and two people. Yeah. Okay, so, so. three boat, three people in the boat, including you. Yes, yes. Okay. And we can do social distancing. We're going to set somebody up in the bow. They can play with the trolling motor and uh, set someone in the back. <laughs> they can do their thing. This yeah. is where the um, nine-foot rods really come in handy because then you can net the fish <laughs> nine feet away from the people. Yes, I can stay away. I don't, yeah, it's all going to be good until we get a fish on it. I'm not too worried about it. But, yes, we are ready to go. Very limited openings in June, July. I think I have like two days in July right now. Uh, I think Vance is all booked up also. But, you know, get a hold of us. Still still a lot of openings in the fall. We're going to do our best to get you out there and get you on some fish like we do every year. So I love it. All day long. And remember, if we are booked, you can always uh, check us out from uh, 5 
p.m. to 9 p.m. Those beautiful evening hours on Chautauqua Lake blend well to uh, big fish in the uh, past seasons. But when you come out with us, shout out to Ranger Boats for sponsoring this show and Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. Get all your Ranger Boat needs at Vic Sports Center in Kent, Ohio. They're the biggest Ranger dealer in the States. Um, service. Um, they also do uh, Starcraft, Star Welds, uh, Tritons now. And they also have a used inventory, just things coming in and out of there. Um, but the best thing about them is they're fishermen who set up boats. So you get what you want. You get what you pay for. Um, that's it for me. That's it for you. And I, I forgot something I wanted to do on the AZ plug. So we haven't given anything away recently. So I have a uh, a little quiz for anyone out there. The first correct answer is going to get a free Three Kings Raptor. Show color. You need to complete. Yo, I need one of those, by the way. Well, you better win this then because I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> All right. What is, the, what is the next number in this sequence? 86, 75, 30. What's the next number? That's so screwed up that you do that stupid math garbage. Well. <laughs> Anyways, it's going to be fun. I wanted, I, I kind of purposely didn't do that at the beginning because I know some people might fast forward through all this stuff that we talk about. So I wanted to jam it into the middle, like real archaic and make it difficult. Yeah. Anyways. I hate that stuff. I feel like that's like an SAT question. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you you, you got to pass this to get into uh, Muskie U. So. God dang it. <clears throat> Anyways, I've chatted enough. Gavin. You with us? Yes, sir. We skipped one plug because I'm going to let you do it for us. See how nice we are? <laughs> I can see that already. Yep. So tell us, <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about you know real quickly where you work. Then we're going to go into your history. Yeah. So I work at St. Croix Rods. Um, it's located in Park Falls, Wisconsin, which is located in North Central Wisconsin. Uh, basically two hours north of Wausau. Um, it was founded in 1948. So in 2018, we had our 70th anniversary. So the company has been around for a long time. Um, I believe it started out over in uh, Minnesota. I can't remember the exact town right away right now. Um, and then it, it moved over to Park Falls, Wisconsin. Now, let me um, ask you a question. Sure. There's something that you guys make the best on earth. What are they? All fishing rods. There you go. <laughs> I like Dang it. Right. And we are going to talk a lot more about that a little bit later. But what we always Perfect. like to do is, <clears throat> now that we know where you work and people are going to have a, uh understanding of what this show is going to be about, let's, mm -hmm. uh, let's kind of, you know, let's just set the table on this one. So I would imagine you go fishing if you work at a fishing rod manufacturing place, correct? Every chance I get. Every yep. chance you get. Now let's let's hear about it like in the early days of Gavin when you're just little. What what kind of got you into fishing? Um it was it was basically my parents and grandparents. So um my grandparents lived on Spooner Lake up in northern Wisconsin and it was basically just bluegill fishing off the dock. Um, that got me started. Um, 
part of my family's own resorts over in Eagle River, so they've always been into guiding. And I kind of grew into head going over there and fishing over on some of the Eagle River lakes too, growing up. So now I'm going to ask you a little bit about a resort. Now I I I hear that like get thrown around a lot. What what oh, yeah. really? What's a resort? What defines a resort? Um, basically just a grouping of cabins that people come up and and stay at for a week. Um, and uh, I know it's kind of like it's grown into more of a destination thing, but I know in the past it was more. It seemed like a lot of um, family gatherings where families would get together more, and I think it grew into opening that up into more widespread to getting more people up to certain areas. Okay. Yeah, that really doesn't exist much, like, in our area. You know, we're we're over mm-hmm. here in, like, Pennsylvania, western New York, and that's just, I always hear resorts and stuff, and I was like, okay, what really, what's the definition or, you know, the accepted term um, of, like, what that would be so now when mm-hmm. you would go over there would you like get in all the good spots like for fishing and stuff because of the family tie-in yeah i mean we, we would get some spots but a lot of it was uh we'd have to figure them out on our own which was which was a good thing i mean you get down to the basics and actually learn learn how to locate fish yourself and and translate that into finding fish on other lakes so um we did get did get some help from our family members because a few of them were guides. Um, but a lot of times they did, did make us kind of learn our own spots, which wasn't always a bad thing. Now, isn't that, wouldn't you say that that is, I just want everybody to listen to what he just said, rewind it and listen to that. He figured it out on his own to get better as an angler. If everybody tells you, if, if people tell you like where to go, where to cast, all that stuff, it's kind of, you don't advance yourself as an angler, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very cool to hear you, hear you say that. Yep. Now I got a question for you on that. Do you think that, see, cause I, I'm also from a, uh, you know, we've had some family businesses and stuff like that. And there's always like kind of two paths to be taken. Like either you're going to get the, you know, the silver spoon or you just got to, sure you know, work twice as hard to prove yourself. And I almost have to ask if you were on your own to find spots, did you have to then report like you were like the reconnaissance guy going out and saying, Hey, you know, over here behind this rock pile was really good for me. And they're like, Oh yeah, don't fish there. I'm going there tomorrow with clients. (laughs) Yeah. I I know in the past it was a little hard to, to, to uh, tell if you didn't catch fish because most ones, you caught you brought back on a stringer uh, <laughs> so, so when you didn't catch fish they'd know but when you did it was it was pretty hard not to give spots away so um you, you could kind of hint at other spots but uh most of the time we did we did give them away because um we were staying with family and and spending time with them so we we're we felt kind of obligated to share that information now if you felt obligated did it ever get competitive in the family? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I was a three three sport athlete in high school, so I, I've always been competitive, even from the beginning. Love it. Interesting. So there there might have been some really neat dynamics going on at like when you're hanging out at the resort. 
Oh yeah. Yep. I mean, even even dinners, it was it was always a blast. They'd always last longer than you think you they would just because you're sitting around the table talking and sharing insights and laughing about memories. Um, it, it's a, it was always really enjoyable. Do they still have the resort? Um, yeah, both. I have um, two different sets of cousins that own resorts. One's on North Twin over in Eagle River, and then there's um, another uh, cousin that owns a resort on Pickerel, Pickerel Lake over by Eagle River, Manaqua. So we don't we don't get over there as much just because uh, life a lot of things going on in life uh, you know that's always changing and growing but uh, every chance we get to to see them it's it's always enjoyable and you always got a place to sleep too I would hope oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the truck is always an option but if if you can get a a bed that's always a plus. Very nice. Hey, let me ask you this. The, uh, the Eagle River seems to be a, a destination for the TMTTSC professional tournament trail, if you will. Um, um, did you ever do it? I never have. No. no. Um, I, I do a, a few small tournaments. Um, I, I, um, I'm, I organize the local Muskie League around here that we we run every summer and it, it's usually one night a week we fish, but I, I haven't gotten into tournament fishing a whole lot yet. That's uh, pretty cool. So you have a musky league, like a kind of like a cup team or yeah, maybe explain people that. would see this. People would see this at maybe like a golf course or their bowling league. Yep. That's very, very cool. Yep. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Explain yeah. it, please. So, so actually in, in park falls and then in a town 20 minutes away, they have their own league too. And they fish lakes and there is some crossover. Um, so what we do is every Thursday night during the summer, we meet at a specified lake. Um, every boat or every person pays $10 and then every fish over 34 is registered. And you bring a photo just to verify, but, um, the person with the most inches recorded that night wins the pot. So you're making a living doing this, I assume. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a fun way to get out, uh, get along with people that are in the area and and uh, uh, just be out fishing a night, have that has it have that designated as a night to get out fishing. So that's what's nice you being able to put something on the schedule. Yeah, for sure. It was like, but you know, the schedule gets busier as you get older, but it's always mm-hmm. nice to have like, okay, this is what I do this night. <laughs> yeah. Have, have that always to look forward to every yeah. week. So Sometimes it might be the only time you get out, but yeah. Yeah. You got the crochet club on Monday, bridge on Tuesday, musky <laughs> yeah. league on a Wednesday. Bingo <laughs> Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Square dancing Thursday. Your week's packed. Oh yeah. So what? What I kind of brought to the league too. I took it over. Uh, it's been two years now, I believe. Um, I introduced uh, Lake X night that we do twice twice a summer, uh, where you can pick any lake in the surrounding counties to fish. 
and then you just have to send pictures in of your fish to qualify to win. So it, it spreads people out and it, it uh, you know, leaves a mysterious, I guess, essence of that night because you never know what people are going to get into or what lake they're on. Yeah, I mean, you guys are in a different world than we live out here. You know, we have very limited lakes. Uh, when oh, yeah. I joined the PMTT years ago, you know, I remember t- meeting some of the guys that were, guide, you know, all the big name guides out there that uh mm-hmm. you know i got to be friends with and stuff and you know they're like okay so i have 30 lakes in my county that i can fish you know yeah. you know stuff like and that the, we do that. Yeah, believe me i'm traveling counties and states to get the oh, fishing yeah. like that so it's really crazy the amount of opportunity you have up there. it's gone that's, that's only in like a 30 mile radius too yeah it's, it's yeah crazy that would be see, that would make my mind spin a little bit too much it's like having too many tree stands or something <laughs> oh yeah you yeah. know, you know I, I, I talked to guys who are like i guide on six different lakes and they're all within 25 minutes of my house we, that is not the way it is out east here <laughs> no <laughs> i mean by any means 25 minutes from here i can not hit two lakes <laughs> you know that's that's just uh great opportunities out there that's really cool about how many people are in this muskie league so every night's a little different depending on people's schedule but i think we we average around 10 to 15 boats so you're thinking 20 to 30 people typically oh that's a pretty good turnout yep i mean especially for being a weekly thing i mean so you might say there might be Fifty or sixty people that would participate throughout this different people throughout the summer because some can't do it some nights and what have you. Yeah, I think my number last year was sixty some. Yeah, yep. that's so really we, cool. I mean, that's I don't know. I mean, I don't even think that we could get something like that off the ground here. But you know, that's that's very that's unique. And uh, so you started uh, the bluegill fishing, the resorts, and you know, when did you kind of start turning to musky fishing? It really wasn't actually until high school where, um, I, I had started to see some old pictures of my dad where he used to go out musky fishing a decent amount with, with my great uncle who was a guide over in Eagle river and they had some decent success. And, uh, and I was getting big enough to where I could actually use the rods and whatnot and throw the baits. But, um, yeah, it was, it was early in high school, I would say before I, I finally got the itch and and the urge to go musky fishing. Now at that age, early high school, so you were like ninth, 10th, you know, you really couldn't drive yet. No. Yeah. I would say it had to have been eighth, Eighth, eighth grade or maybe it was freshman year. So yeah, I had to wait a, a year or two before I could drive. So you were at the mercy of someone else, unless you just rode your bike to some dock somewhere. And I was at the mercy of my father, <laughs> wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> Which isn't always a bad thing because you—that's basically where you learn how to fish. So, yeah. Right. So was your dad? like into musky fishing when you were getting into musky fishing or were these like old time memories and photos what kind of pushed you into it 
Yeah, I, they were the old time photos and seeing that and wanting to do it. And then he he saw me getting interested, so he wanted to get back into it. So we both kind of got back into it at the same time. Okay, so, so. he kind of took a break from it. Yep, yep. He had a had a break. Um, main thing was having kids and doing yeah, that, so. yeah. That puts a K bosh on a lot of things. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Till the music to Andy, Andy's have, ears. We have <laughs> lots of lots of friends and podcast listeners. I mean, I'm going to bring up a name here, Les Lyons, that like just a little when he was a kid. His son got sort of somehow addicted to it. He got back into it. Got a great Lund boat now, and they're going all over the place fishing. You know. Just, that's, that's, this is sort of the pattern that, that, that can happen to some people, you know, mm-hmm. kids get interested and it sparks really it cool. back in the parents. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're fishing with your dad and then the magic day comes, you get your driver's license. Does anything change? You still going with dad or is it now you're kind of a little more independent? I can drive the boat now. <laughs> I, can, I, I can finally take it out by myself. Um, I was very fortunate to where he did trust me to to take it out by myself and kind of learn some things on my own uh, experience. If, if you know, putting the boat in by yourself and if you forget to tie the rope off, you have to go swimming. But um. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So I, I take it you've done that. A time or two, yeah. Uh, multiple times. Yeah, after the second time I learned. So, I mean, I did that last year without taking a swim. Uh, luckily, there was someone there that could go and get the boat for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Just get away from you sometimes, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's funny. Okay, so not you're a repeat offender of letting the boat get away. And yeah. that kind <laughs> of don't act like you've never done that, Andy. I haven't. That's why I'm acting this way. <laughs> well, you have a small case study. Let's just say that. Hey, but I, I was hammering it uh, before kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off the bank. Off, off the, yeah. Off the boat. I was hauling the boat three times a week to spots. Wow. Like I said, you didn't know me before, kids. I was a cool dude. <laughs> you're the cool dude. <laughs> you are like you're you're like Captain Sterile. That's all you are. Like anybody that listens to this podcast never wants to have kids. Hey, I've given advice to be, other people in the industry. I've been I've, I've talked to other people in the industry. I'm not going to name names because he sometimes listens to the show. I explained to him very in depth what can happen. Well, guess what? Two kids later, he's calling me up and he's just like, man, what do I do? And I'm just like, ride it out. Only another 18 years, buddy. And you're going to be good. (laughs) Captain Sterile Guide Service. Hey, I might be doing some people favors. Okay. I'm helping Andy. people. Andy, I will tell you, I have never lost my boat yet. There you go. Okay, now start ragging on Todd. He fishes. <laughs> He's full of it. I've never lost my boat. He's full of crap. No, I've 
never lost a boat. Hey, hey Gavin. The most important thing in a fishing day is your boat. I have never lost it at the dock. You're trying to run charters off the docks, and you're like, hey, let's go try this dock. There was a 60-incher under here. Just ask the locals. Okay, I need to ask Gavin a very important question. How, how many nets have you lost out of your boat? Oh, man. I don't think I've lost any. <laughs> Neither have I, Gavin. Sick them, Vance. Sick them. Come on. I Just mean, like I'm, you did I'm, me. Go after I mean, Gavin. I'm getting screwed here. How Just about rods, Gavin? If you lost any rods, Gavin, I mean... I mean, I feel like... I, I, I know I've, I've caught a few rods. I can't I've remember. Caught... He's in the positive of the turnover ratio right yeah. now, Vance. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I'm I lost... Three up on I lost a, I think I lost like three nets in a week the one time. That <laughs> was terrible. I'm you, getting packed up to go, Vance, right now. And I'm, I'm like looking in the garage and I'm, you know, like, this is my last trip. We're, going, we're starting Saturday. And I look and my, my backup net is sitting here, which was my old net that I've mm-hmm. had for like 35 years. And I looked at it and I was like, should I throw that in? I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I need it. But I did think. Vance will have some backups if, just in case something happens. It's very Vance, honest to God. I have I have two backups right now. One one is in the truck, and I, I put it there because I was like, I'm gonna lose this. I definitely this is gonna. I'm gonna. There's probably like a ninety percent chance that I'm gonna be using this net that's wrapped up right now by the middle of June. So. <laughs> It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. I'm just going to leave mine hanging in the garage. Well, it'll be the backup to the backup. <laughs> Some aren't so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got off track. All right. So, so Gavin, you're, you're not doing so well with keeping the boat under your control, getting off the trailer, but you're, you're just killing it with the nets and the rods. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now that we've established that. Let's kind of go on, like, when do you, you know, by this time you probably have at least three, four years of muskie fishing under your belt. Do you feel you hit your stride at that point in high school or? Not really. I mean, I, I had a year where I caught, I don't know, I'd say 10 or 12 fish. And fortunately they're all nice ones. They're all, all around 40 inches, but um, I don't think I really knew exactly what I was doing or, or I wasn't thinking technically about what I needed to do to be more successful. I was just kind of going out and fishing shorelines and maybe wood flats and things like that. But it wasn't, um, thinking, well, it's this time of year, they're going to be in the thicker weeds or when the water temp gets, to 80 they're going to be out a little deeper and you can catch them trolling or casting deep um it was just being out there enjoying being out there and if you caught one you caught one mm-hmm. now um, w- when do you think that the, like the pieces started to fit together for you like later in high school or kind of when you got out i would say actually it wasn't until i was in college um I'd say it was probably my senior year of college that I really 
started to be, become more successful. And I think a lot of that attributed to fishing with um, different amounts of people and actually learning the power of jerk baits in our area, especially early in the year. Oh, wow. That's music to our ears. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it too was um, when you, when you are able to, to fish by yourself, by yourself, you can um, really focus on um, casting weed lines or wherever you're fishing at different angles and not having to worry about someone else having the same opportunity because you are by yourself and you can kind of learn and see what the fish want if they want something coming across their face or into their face and and learn from those different experiences that you when you're trying different things and and then kind of just from there you like it's kind of slowly grown together and now you you feel you you have a lot more confidence going onto the water than oh yeah early on and and just the experience i mean i was able to get out a lot more than um especially now too i mean whenever i get done with work um fortunately my girlfriend kind of accepted my addiction and she she's okay with me coming coming home when it's dark so i can i can get out after work and uh have a lot more experience on the water okay about how many years have you been out of college um about four years okay I, i got i was very fortunate to get hired from uh st croix right out of school um very cool so you're in your late 20s yeah i'm uh 27 okay oh a little bit younger than i was thinking so you've been (laughs) you've been musky fishing for about 10 years give or take yep yep around there and you know that there there's a there's some obviously some personal growth going from you know a freshman in high school to where you're at right now but have you noticed Mm -hmm. anything like information-wise, in, in your span of 10 years that's available now that you didn't have when you were in ninth grade? Was there, like, anything major that you been like, wow, this would have been really nice 10 years ago? Um, well, I mean, the social media stuff. Uh, you, you, if you're friends with a lot of people, you can see them catching fish and you have some ideas of where they're catching fish. But um, a lot of it, being from where I work, I get to uh, meet some very cool people and some people who have years of knowledge in the musky industry and musky fishing. So you you pick up a lot from people just talking to them, and, and that's helped me kind of get little bits and pieces from them and, and, and kind of step my game up that way too. So... Do you think that there was any tidbit of information or social media or anything that could replace that you'd say, I could trade this whatever um, and be in the same spot I am now development-wise uh, for the first 10 years? Or do you feel that experience is key? I'd say a lot of it has to do with experience. Um I know the one bit piece of technology that I use a lot are, I mean, locators nowadays are insane. Um, 
that's helped me a lot. Anyways, just using the water temps, uh, knowing where points end, um, seeing mid lake structure is so much easier now. That all helps. Um, but I would say just firsthand experience um, really uh, helps advance a person's uh, knowledge and and molds what 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 they're going to do on the water, I would say. So what you're telling me is when someone posts up the question, what is the best of blank? That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do better fishing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little joke question. So true. Um, anyway, what do you, uh, what do you prefer to use, uh, as your locators? I like that word instead of depth finder. Yeah. Um, I run hummingbirds. Um, it just, um, it's what what you uh, probably started with. Yeah. Well, we're kind of tied in with, uh, hummingbird and like Johnson outdoors were, were uh, companies that have been working together for a long time. So we're in with them. Um, Birds as well, you know, so there's nothing. Well, the, the side imaging feature or the side imaging technology that they've created is just unmatched. Um, I, believe, I believe that to be true as well. Yeah. They're so the front runner there. Um, I don't, I haven't experienced the, the pan optics. Um, I haven't ran any of that stuff yet, but I have a uh, very good success with the, the hummingbird side imaging technology. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, would ima- I would imagine all like the big three uh, uh, depth finder companies are going to have that eventually. Oh yeah. You well, know, no, the, have the, the three sixty, which is insane too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. We're just not big like gearheads on that stuff, Todd and myself. Who makes you know? the pan optics? Like, what company? Does Garmin. That? Garmin. Yeah. Yeah. And Garmin's making strides, but we, I mean, we're still, I use that side imaging um, occasionally, but it's, it's more in, in, in the trolling aspect of it. And, okay. you know, but I do notice, like, I'll turn it on when I'm bored and, you know, the clients are casting and I'll put it on and it certainly does pick up the hummingbird, picks up unbelievable detail when you're moving at a slow slow speed um, fin, fin for fin stuff uh it just is truly incredible you can see uh a released fish uh which is super cool um just neat stuff but i'm already in that area where i think the fish are we always talk about that we we fish one lake you know uh for for six months out of the year so but um definitely a neat neat feature love the birds oh yeah okay so you leave college and st croix comes to your door knocking and say we need you (laughs) i wish it worked that way (laughs) oh okay i was under the impression that's how it worked okay so you you got employed at st croix rods yeah i was i was very fortunate to get hired there um I actually had a field service job lined up right out of college. Um, 
in a, at a local um, manufacturing company that actually produces machines that cut paper or corrugated material. A scissor and, company. That's yeah. A, that's a joke. We'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I, I saw that um, they had a position open up for an engineer. I was debating whether it would even be worth it because I figured there was hundreds of people, you know, putting in for a job like that. Um, my dad was the one who kind of nudged me and said, what, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I put in, um, when I got here, everybody was really accepting, um, interested in, in what I had to say in the interviews and, and it, that's just history from now. I, I got very lucky that, uh, my boss today uh, accepted me as well as I did. And then I'm very proud to be a part of the St. Croix team. And let me ask you, do you know if there were hundreds of people that actually applied for that position? I don't think there was hundreds, but <laughs> I know there was, <laughs> um, I'm sure there was stiff competition. Um, yeah. There was some good competition there. So. so what is your typical day? You show up at work, St. Croix, what are you doing? <sighs> Um, like when I started, um, a lot of it was just learning all the processes, learning how rods are built because I had no idea. Um, I ran basically all premier rods because that's all I could afford in high school and college. Um, so I didn't have a lot of knowledge on the high end stuff. Um, I never, never took a tour of St. Croix when they were here and it was only 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So, um, yeah, it, it consisted of learning all the processes, working with, um, our engineering assistants, learning how to build rods, um, working on projects to improve the processes at the company. And then from there I went into the engineering supervisor position where I was working with one of the owners, Dave Schluter, and learning how to design fishing rods, um, all all the different techniques into modeling and creating rods, the components and all that, and then actually building the prototypes you create on our software and um, getting those out to our anglers to test. So basically every day is... Um, either designing rods, building rods, or or working with the four people on setting up processes for for manufacturing the rods. Nice. And you're working you're you're working with all the all the rods, right? You're down to the panfish rods. Yep. Panfish. Everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a we're we're pr- very diversified here at Saint Croix. We deal with saltwater surf rods fly um of course musky um and, and everything in between yeah, um, I I know we, yeah. Mm-hmm. we do we have done some oem stuff with um some different countries um produ- creating rods just for those certain areas um so I, every every year's a little different we get into um new things so it's it's always fun. Now, were you guys shut down for a while? I think you were. Yeah, we were. So we were shut down for about a month, 
yeah. where the only only people at the factory were the people keeping the building running or the infrastructure running. Yeah. I was very fortunate to where they let me come in and I was working on um, sample rods for this year for, for well, for this upcoming ICAST. Um, so I got to stay and build those. Um, and then we started with a pretty limited skeleton crew, uh, getting us, uh, getting a decent number of rods through. And now we're, we're ramping up into full production now, finally. Nice. 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 Okay. So <clears throat> without giving away any trade secrets or something like that, let's walk through like start to finish on a rod build. And I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna make a prediction on how this goes. Okay. You go in the woods, you find a nice stick. <laughs> you come back no. with some thread. Is is that right or wrong? Well, maybe What's... a portion. Like <laughs> 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 the action of this uh, willow leaf thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want yeah. the oak branch or do you want the willow yeah. whip? <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think we should kind of break down what the musky, uh, the musky series is because if correct me if I'm wrong, there's a triumph. Yeah. So- to the premiere, the mojo, the, uh, legend tournament, and then the legend elite. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Let's, yeah, we, before we the do biggest. the rod thing, before we make a rod, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's break that down since we're already. What's the base level musky stuff? The base level musky stuff um, is our, so how we label our carbon fiber is their SCs as St. Croix 2 all the way to 5. And the different numbers relate to the material itself. Um, a lot of it refers, well, I guess the, the, the naming doesn't refer to the material itself, but it just, uh, differentiates between them but um, the main thing is as you step up the modulus of the fibers increases to where it stiffens it and then with that you can reduce the amount of material you use and it also strengthens blanks so you're making your blanks lighter as your stiffness goes up um, there's a lot of other factors that attribute to that too um, your resin the amount of resin or the amount of fibers in the material. Um, and what a lot of people don't know as they find out as they come through tours, which we were offering before this, this COVID pandemic, but um, all of our carbon fiber materials are fiberglass materials that actually uh, sheet. It's a flat sheet. That's yeah. in a roll that we, we, we um, cut with a pattern cutter to any any shape that we need to create our blanks. Okay, so, man, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So yeah. sure. the base model, musky rods, because we're going to come back to that flat sheet. Um, sure. Base model, triumphs. Mm-hmm. Typically, like, across all the models, I'm, I'm jumping, I'm, I'm jumbling around here. I have... Oh, crap, I'm really jumping bad. All right, so what is the big difference between, like, a Triumph and a Premier? Um, the main difference between the, the Triumph and the Premier is just where it's manufactured. 
Um, they're the same materials. Um, the handles are a little bit different, but they're basically the same. Um, the main difference there is where they're manufactured and the price point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the Premier and Mojo's, what's the yep. difference? So what, what was new this last year, we redesigned the Mojo's, upgraded them to SC3, and Premier is SC2. So the material bumped up. And then we also um, went to IPC tooling, which is more advanced for the blank technology. Now, does that stand Tri for Insane Clown Posse? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> oh, integrated, <my> God. <laughs> integrated polycurve technology. So okay. what, what that refers to is on a typical blank, musky, walleye, whatever, is you have two taper changes where you go from a tip section to the midsection and then the midsection to the butt section. And they would be slight angles on traditional tooling. Well, what we do with that IPC tooling is that we actually put curvature in those transition points. So you have much smoother um, transitions from tip to mid and then mid to your butt section. Yeah, like whether it's a fast action, medium action tip. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the 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 deflection's a lot smoother, and it's much easier to maintain wall thicknesses with that tooling. Okay, so the so the Mojo is like a little bit of a step up over a Premier. Yeah, and and. Uh, if if you had if you had one side by side and you're feeling the weight, you could really tell the difference in weight because that going from SC SC two conventional tooling to SC three IPC, you're gonna have a greatly reduced amount of weight in the blanks too. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you the next one: Mojo mm -hmm. to Legend Tournament. Sure. What? So the main 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 difference there is. You're going from SC3 material to SC4, which is even higher modulus material, so you can go even less material in the blanks but maintain the same strength and uh, rigidity. So your blanks are even lighter. Um, you have higher-grade cork typically in those. We have more offerings and then um, higher-grade Fuji guides on those too. Mm -hmm. I, 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 have an, I, I run like one casting rod and I, I love my big dog. And the biggest thing is I have a premiere an eight, six premiere as like the backup boat rod. And then I have my big dog and I didn't okay. believe how much I enjoy those like anti-fouling eyelets. Okay. K K frame guides. That, that could be, if you know the term, <laughs> I just know like <laughs> when the lines wrapped, I just kind of, give like a little jiggle in a reel and it there it's undone yeah <laughs> and that is worth it to me right there well that's because you're sure. looking under banks and under yeah and I'm, i have to knock down yeah. red brush so what's the better yes. way and i yes. i push yeah. off with a push pole the tip in the mud and i'm gavin i'm being serious i do this <laughs> yeah, and i push go. the boat around with the with the rod and yeah it's important to me that i don't have to touch that icky yeah. that icky spot you know it sometimes gets slimy when i break down those trees <laughs> are the musky rods st croix's 
like mainstay, biggest sellers. Bread and butter. Oh, I'm hoping the new mojos, but I I know the the legend tournaments have been kind of the mainstay. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody everybody knows the blue rod, and oh, yeah. uh, um, if you can afford it, the legend elites unparalleled as far as the technologies that are in that rod. And when people, I know when people get the chance to use those, they're they're hooked on them just from the the overall feel of those rods. Okay. So, so, so like going back in general, St. Croix, like the musky rods are the just musky rods in general, whether it's a mojo mm -hmm. premier, the the sector. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that the biggest thing that uh, St. Croix is doing or are they selling more catfish rods or, you know, no, it's, uh, it's, it's more bat, more bass rods. Bass rods, yeah, yeah. Just because so, you have hundred times more bass fishermen, yeah. yeah. Um, the nice thing for us is we're right in the Midwest, so we're kind of right in the core of of the musky territory, which is oh, yeah. for us. Um, but yeah, you look at look at the way that bass fishermen fish; they have. 20 rods and they're both yeah. rods with different I, re- I really only need three four musky rods in my boat and that, that that does the work that i need yeah yeah all right let's wrap up my little comparison series here so lt versus legend elite okay sc4 to sc5 which is a really high modulus material um but it's also a very um, strong material. We use a ART technology, which is like a cross grain material that um, is super durable. And then we have um, the Fuji Torzite guides, which are the lightest on the market. And uh, um, the, the, just the overall feel of those rods are probably what make them um, a, a cornerstone or a, a benchmark or what people want to get up to when you look at our St. Croix line of musky rods. Is it worth the extra money for the Legend Elite, your opinion? I would... It all depends on how you fish. Um, as far as bucktails, topwaters, crankbaits, yeah. Um, if you want a rod for rubber, I don't know. <laughs> it, yeah. Almost usually, like, a, ru- usually a rub, usually a rubber rod. I want something I can just beat the hell out of. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I want to spend five, $600 on a rod, but that's what I'm going to do too. Okay. So are, are those, are those rods going to hold up? You bet. Um, I have, We've run those on our dynamic analyzer that um, reenacts a, a fish set or a hook set, and we do that thousands of times on our on our blanks just to make sure they're they're durable and they'll they'll last the use. Um, the other thing that the reason why I don't go to elites for um, rubber is the material itself is. A little bit softer 
than um, your SC4 or SC3. So the rod loads up a little more and you don't get the, get the, the flick or the, the instant pull that mm-hmm. you want when you're ripping rubber. Hmm. But there are guys on our pro staff that swear by it. That's just my opinion. That's, that's the way I fish, but some guys love them. I know, um, I work, I, I'm good friends with John Klocheski, the Lake X guy. Um, a couple of his pro staffers, they swear by legend elites for rubber, just, just because of how they work the baits. So everybody has their, everybody has their own preference. What rods do you have in the boat? Like what are your, you know, preferred three or four rods? I always have, um, a jerk bait rod that either being a seven, six extra heavy or eight foot heavy fast. Um, because of the redesign with the mojos, that's typically what I've been running just because I want to make sure those rods are, are where they need to be. Um, legend tournaments I, I I've used in the past. Um, but I always have a jerk bait rod, usually eight and a half or nine foot medium heavy for bucktails and top water. And then I've been running the nine foot extra heavy premier, the rubber rod. And I, what I find interesting is that they weren't all top shelf rods. Nope. You work there and, and you're even, you're mixing in the, uh, you know, across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fished, I, I fished the, the mojos all last summer just because they were new and I wanted to make sure I was acclimated to all of them. Um, just from what I experienced, um, I don't have any problem fishing those over like a legend tournament right now, just because of the, the versatility they have with those new wind grips. Um, you don't feel any, um, you don't feel like that rod's ever going to come out of your hand because the wind grips are always grippy. Hmm. Even, even when your hands are wet. Have you guys, Vance Todd, have you, have you touched those mojos? Like I, I no, not like the new mojos. No, no, only the trolling series. I never, you know, I always picked up a premier rather than a, Mm -hmm. you know, the old, the older mojos, you know, Um, but I would always choose the premier over that. Yeah, and we and we we still use the triumphs. Mm-hmm. We use the triumphs a lot for for, uh, for casting and it's our nice board rods. Broad, you can hand to somebody and mm-hmm. don't have to worry about throwing them in water. And they, they like, like what you said about rubber rods, like they can just beat the hell out of it. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Smack it off the boat, no big deal. Drop it in the water, come back later, try to find it. <laughs> like last year, the guy, the guy's telling me last year, he's like, my wife has a tendency to throw the rod in the water. I was like, well, she better not do it to mine. <laughs> as, the day, as the day went on, it's like she threw, I swear she did it on purpose. I mean, we got it back. There's enough cork on that. Mm. But I was like, that's why I don't hand over the, yeah. The LTs to them. <laughs> yeah, that's why, the blue one. That's why mine yeah. is the... LT, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Now let's get back to how do we make a fishing rod? Where yeah. where do we start? 
the main thing is the blank. Um, it all depends on uh, what power action we're getting to. And then we actually start from a um, proprietary design program where we can actually determine wall thicknesses and get the powers and action right on the program by creating the patterns. And then we take that in the back and use our pattern cutters to cut the carbon fiber and, and start making sample blanks. Now, I got to ask the question, did that take a lot of the magic and mystique out of rod building when you could just let a computer tell you, hey, just do this. And by the way, by the time you walk through that door, one's cut. Well, it's it's not perfect. You still have to have, and my boss, Jason Brunner, has been designing blanks for over 20 years. So he, he has this system set up to where it made it much easier for me to learn. Um, you still have to have a little bit of intuition or, or experience where adding this amount of material there, I'll do this to the blank and you use the program and your personal experience to, to get the powers and actions, right. The program itself helps, but it won't make it perfectly. And, uh, the other thing that it, it doesn't account for is the, the modulus of the material or the stiffness. Um, it just goes off the material thickness. So sometimes you might have to go way back on the material to get the, the tip deflection, right. Depending on the stiffness of the material. So, okay. So the machine, you know, you, you, you hit go and there's a pattern cutter and it cuts out your flat sheet of paper. It's not paper. I've watched it. It's really cool to watch the videos. Yep. Like, it cuts all triangles. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you, you got this pattern. It's flat, and it's 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 like a sheet. Mm-hmm. What do you do with it next? Yeah. So what I what I left out is once we we actually design the steel tooling, which are mandrels. Um, they're basically hardened steel rods that look like a fishing rod. They're just, they're not hollow. They're solid and they're a little bit smaller diameter than the finished part. We design each diameter in certain locations. And that when I brought up the IPC tooling, that's, that's what it's referring to those mandrels that we roll the carbon fiber around to make the rod blanks. So you got one of these, and I imagine you do something with it. I know what you do with it, but I'm leading you on. Yeah. So we take that steel mandrel, uh, we prep it with a, a wax and then a tacking resin, and the tacking resin is for the, the carbon fiber. And then we actually use hot irons to to iron on that carbon fiber to the steel mandrel. And then once you use those hot irons to attach the the straight leading edge of the material we roll them with a with a high pressure roller and that creates your, your rod blank it, it ro- wraps it around the, the steel mandrel perfectly now is there like some kind of an epoxy or glue that keeps this like this or do you just you roll it and it stays i have i would imagine it, it would spring back a little right 
No. So what we call our carbon fiber, it's pre-preg. So it's, it's pre-impregnated with a resin itself. Okay. And, um, it's, it's made up of a resin, um, a support structure, which we call scrim, which could be glass or carbon fiber itself. And then the actual carbon fiber, and that's all one directional. Um, and that resin is really, um, um, sensitive to temperature it's a it's a heat curing resin so that little bit of heat that we have on the the rolling beds keeps that carbon fiber to where it stays in place okay so now you just rolled you rolled a rod mm-hmm. and that wax i imagine that you put on that steel mandrel is like a release agent so you can get your tooling back yep Exactly. So then you yep. you pop it out. Now you got yeah. essentially that the mandrel is your mold. Only you're molding inside. Exactly. And yeah. So, go ahead. So what we we have to do before that, before we cure it, we wrap a ta- uh, polypropylene tape around it to prevent the epoxy from just oozing out when we heat cure them that keeps the structure of the blank and then we cure them in a, in a, in a, in a big oven at, uh, we have to reach 260 degrees Fahrenheit and, uh, it cures out the resin and you have your finished rod blank. It's just a lot of stuff going into making a rod. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when we tell all of, uh, everybody is it takes 32 different sets of hands to, to finish a, a fishing rod. That's like a, that's like making a lure. Oh, yeah. so what, okay. So let's talk about the, uh, real quick here, the, the Mojo series trolling rods. They've new in the last, what, three, four seasons. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like a mix resin. I know I, I got them as soon as they came out and, uh, I, I like, I, I love them for like, as Vance said earlier, the, like indestructible i don't you know no glass uh in the in the eyelets you know the our our guys are banging them around we're putting them in rod holders and that's really nice but uh they have been really indestructible for us oh yeah yep they're a they're a mix with carbon fiber and fiberglass material um as we all know fiberglass is very durable i mean they make fishing bullets out of it um so yeah that glass has um really high elongation rates and good very good impact resistance so that's the main reason why we put it in rods like that and it also allows you to add a large amount of material and still have a lot of flex and sensitivity that's the big thing that I tell people, like, you know, you can buy the glass rod from wherever, but the glass rod does not show the action of the bait mm-hmm. trolling the same as that rod, the, uh, you know, the mojo trolling rod. I can see the action. Everything's there. You got the durability. Mm-hmm. Great product. <laughs> and that, I think that's another reason why a lot of guys like around here are using those for, for trolling and live bait. Because when it gets cold out, 
they're they're still they still yeah. 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 yeah okay so, so the rod blanks are in the oven and mm-hmm. they get done you know the timer goes off and you put on your oven mitts and you go and pull them out yep what do you do now we, we pull the mandrels out of the rod blank so we have um it's not proprietary equipment but there's there's only a few companies in the world that produce um uh, machines that actually do some of the stuff as far as creating rod blanks so it it grabs the mandrel each mandrel has a notch that we hook onto and it uses it comes down with jaws and separates the the rod blank from the mandrel like a and stripping to, fixture yep and you have to do that while everything's still warm so timer goes ding and it's a race to pull the mandrels yeah, you have you have a little bit of time. Okay. Like like I said, the oven was at 260 degrees, so it has quite a while before everything cools down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but once you get the the mandrel mandrels or what we call cores out, they stay hot for a while. We put them in racks and eventually clean them before we rerun them. Um, but the rod blanks cool down very fast because they're hollow mm-hmm. and a lot of wall thickness. Then, so you have this blank. Is there any trimming involved before it goes to the next step? Or, like, let's just walk through all the way to a finished rod. What's next? Sure. So what's next is we actually, they get bundled up, um, and we take that polypropylene tape off. Um, We have a piece of equipment that we we designed in-house that um, you have to start pulling the tape off by hand. It goes in a a big uh, PVC tube. And then you pull the the polypropylene tape around, and it pulls all that tape off, while also um, trapping all the noise that that would come from all the the blanks rolling around. Otherwise, it would, it's pretty noisy when they're banging back and <laughs> forth each other. Bunch of wind chimes banging back and forth. Yeah, I can see how they'd be noisy. Yeah. So all that tape gets taken off. Um, then it goes to an inspection point where we verify blank diameters are correct, the length is correct, and then there's actually a straight edge. Um, if you look at all fishing rods in the industry, they, they're, they're not all straight as an arrow, but all the ones that leave our factory have a straight edge or a spline. Now, t- tell me, you know, elaborate on a spine, because I hear people throwing that around, you know, often. Some like, oh, they've got double spines or this or that. Yeah. Expand on that. So what the spine is, is it comes from the the leading edge or the, the ending edge of the material. You have an overlap or or very small portion that's got more material so that's going to be your stiffest point so like the beginning wrap and the end wrap have a slight overlap and that's like an extra layer thick compared to the rest of the blank yep and that's typically where your spine is and typically where your straightest edge comes from um 
typically with like glass stuff, it's, it's hard to find that because it's so, um, it, it elongates so well, or it flexes a lot easier. So you don't always feel it as much, but with carbon fiber, you can usually feel it because the modulus or the stiffness of the fiber, um, really enhances the, the, uh, spine. Okay. So you find the spine. What's, what's important with the spine? Do you index it a certain way with the eyelets or the grip or who cares? Yeah. So we don't actually, um, rotate the blank and find the, the spine. Typically it's, it's this, your straight edge. Very rare. Is it not? Um, so we use lasers to find the straightest edge on the rod blank. And then when we get down later in the process, we, we mark that and I'll, I'll elaborate when we get there. Okay. So laser beams, find, find your straight edge. Yep. Just to verify it's a good enough blank to, to keep moving through our process and to put more money into later to eventually create a rod for, for anglers. Mm-hmm. So the next step. Sanding. Sanding. So, so like I said, the, um, the material itself has epoxy or resin. And when that cures, it creates a really smooth surface. Um, and you also get ridges from that tape that kept the structural integrity of the blank we have to sand off those ridges. So what we allot for is three to five thousandths of an inch. And we use a centerless sander to, to sand that off all our rod blanks. So we end up with a smooth rod blank. So it's automated. It's not someone with a, you know, a handful of sandpaper and you're spinning this thing in a chuck and going yeehaw. It's still a person running the machine. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an automated system where you have settings you, you set by yourself and then the machine runs the belt and you, you push them through. Okay. All right. So it's all smooth. Yep. Who sees it next? The, we clean, we clean all the carbon fiber dust off the, off the blanks. Um, we want to make sure every the the parts are all clean before we, we go to paint so paint paint's the next step we have two different processes there we have spray which is common everybody knows about and then we also have a squeegee operation which is where we use a a rubber membrane where we punch different size holes and we actually push the rods through that and it we have a a trough or a little container on the other side that holds paint and that coats the the rod blank evenly and smoothly as you pull it through that rubber. Hmm. So, so um, I imagine you let some dry time. Yeah. So what we do for paint, um, we actually have a conveyor system that we have set up. Um, it, it hangs on the conveyor where it flashes, where the solvent's allowed to come out of the paint for 15 minutes before it goes into a curing oven. So it gets easy baked two times now. Yep, twice. Two times. 
it leaves there. What's the mm-hmm. we put eyelets on next? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> okay. Well, so what you're saying, like the blue rod, could be a black rod. Yep, it could be. It could yep. be whatever color you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I I believe we do. Um, I don't know the number offhand, but it's twelve to fifteen different colors. We okay. go through here. Um, and that's kind of split between squeegee painting and spray painting. Um, our spray booths are are automated to where the operators just have to load the machines, push a button, and then unload. Yeah. Interesting. So after after the uh, the coatings are cured, um, we do a, a coating inspection to where if the the blanks have any imperfections, dirt, scratches, separation from the paint. We rework them, um, and then they go to a a cutting operation where we cut the rods to length. And what I what I forgot failed to mention before is um, our rod blanks. We always add three to five inches extra material, so where we cut that off to cut the rods to the right length. Okay. That makes sense. So then you can, you know, get you the ragged edges them. off and anything that is. Yeah. The main, main things for handling them. Um, Cause you're going to be obviously taking paint off when you handle the rods and that's the squeegee operations done all manually. Um, so there's a lot of handling. So we, we allow for that extra material to be cut off later on. So now it's down to the right size. Mm-hmm. Is now when does the needle and thread come along? Is are we putting eyelets on? Getting close. Okay. <laughs> Still not there yet. Nope. So then we go into our laser alignment, where we we put a white dot on a specified location. Where we're en- as engineers, we we create a blank print where we specify a location for the white white dot to go on, which shows the straight edge or your spine or your blank. And that, that goes through the process, all the way through the process. Um, and then once that's applied, we go into a final blank inspection. Um, so you have a lot of different sets of hands, um, touching, feeling, pulling on, on the blank so they might get damaged. Um, this final inspection process is where we verify that the powers and actions are correct. The diameters are correct with um, the right blanks or the blanks that are, are going through on the shop order to make sure nothing got mixed up. And then uh, just another overall look to make sure the appearance of the paint looks good. And you get failures there? Um, typically no, no usually, okay, yeah. you, usually we flex, yeah, we flex test all our blanks after they come out of the paint curing oven just to make sure that doesn't affect the blanks. Okay. So by the time they get there, they're usually all ready yeah. to go and just making sure the, yeah, you're getting the, really good percentage of these things ready to go by the time they get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the other, the other main thing that, um, 
the final inspection point does is it it makes sure that all of our blanks are consistent and yet repeatable. So we have, when I say the final inspection process, it's basically a big whiteboard with different rulers on it or tape measurements. And we use lasers to specify dot locations. So X, Y coordinates. And we put, place a load on the end of the rod blank. Okay. And that that connection has a load cell hooked up to it and that load cell reading has to match with our prints as well as that that loaded rod blank has to hit those dot locations that we specify and if it doesn't it's not a it's not a good blank we we scrap it from there um otherwise if it is if meets all those inspection points it's good to go and that just further shows that if you buy buy a that same model five years from now, or if you buy that same model now and then buy it five years from now, it's going to be feel exactly the same way. Yeah, a lot wow. of testing involved. Wow, lots, uh, lots, Andy. Jeez. <laughs> okay. And I'm just thinking when you get into this final process, how you could screw it up. <laughs> you know, and then you oh, start at square one. one again. Yeah. Oh yeah. You miss sign someone's name when they do the, uh, the fancy thing. You put an R in young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, yeah. so it, it now passes another test. Mm-hmm. And it, it graduated. That's what's the next thing it's going to be doing? Handles. Handles. Yep. So the it'll we went through the whole blank side of the um, company or the factory and our, our factory is actually split. It looks like a U shape. So the, the cell side of the factory is all blanks and then it'll transition into the North side of the factory, which is the handle builds and then guides and finishing. So pretty much you mix up some Elmer's glue, you jam the handle on (laughs) Line up the dot. Close. Um, so we have a area in our factory that's um, the the inventory or the component warehouse where we store all our cork components, guides, uh, arbors, reel seats, everything we use for rod building, the items we use to help build rods, epoxies, everything like that. Um, so the rod order gets placed, they print the actual rod prints, it goes into a shop order, they pull the parts and the quantities that they need, and then it goes into, um, either a real seat building operation or a handle sizing operation, which is our drilling, where they actually drill the components to fit that specific blank. And I imagine someone's now putting it together. After that, yep. So typically, like I mentioned before, it goes into a, a assembly operation for the real seats, or sometimes we do glue arbors into pork pieces, and then it goes into that drilling operation. And then we have a handle assembly general area, which is our high volumes, premieres, um, 
anything with a full grip that has just like a standard reel seat. And then we have handle assembly technical, which is more like our split grips with trim pieces, things like that, that take a little more time and are a little bit more intricate. Okay. So then you get the handle all on. Where do we go from there? We go into handle cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that the uh, handle cleaning is pretty much what it sounds. Yeah. Cleaning the handles. Yep. A lot of it is just if there is any leftover epoxy, it's cleaning that off. Um, If any cork fill gets pulled out, it's refilling that. Um, making sure all the components are pulled down nice and tight so you don't have any gapping. Um, and this is the time, too, where if if they see any imperfections in the handle that we can fix, we tear the parts off and, and re-glue them or, or just re-glue them if, if they're not held correctly. Okay. And let me guess, it goes into another full-blown inspection after that inspection, actually, actually after the cleaning. <laughs> nope, okay. not exactly. So we're actually on to... Um, you almost have a rod. Almost have a rod. Almost have a rod ready to go, yeah. yeah. So it actually goes into a machine my, my uh, boss, Jason Brenner, designed as um, guide marking, where we use a UV pen and mark out all the guide locations that are specified on our on our rod prints. So and then the rod guides get threaded on there real tight. Nice little yep. brush of epoxy. Spin mm-hmm. them around and round. You got it. And you got a rod. Yeah. You can't forget about the decal. Let's hear it. That's right. So before we do our final um, epoxy or, or we use flex coat, your finish coat, we put a decal on and then we put our, our finish coat on, which is the final uh, coating that we put on the threads and the over the decal that turns out really smooth. So, and then once that, once that's done, it goes into a final inspection just to make sure everything on the rod is complete. There aren't any imperfections or or anything wrong with it. And then, then it goes into where we put the um, tags on to, sh- to show the warranties, um, the technologies, um, and any components that are used um, because like Fuji or Sea Guide, they they uh, actually provide us with um, component tags that we put on all of our rods, so you know what components are being used, and then it'll go onto our warehouse. What you ought to do that'll be even more impressive than product tags. Now listen up. Present this to your boss, and you're going to be the <laughs> hero. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just say, how about we just put down how many tests and like certifications and inspections these things go through. Mm. That's more impressive than all the product tags because this thing's been inspected 30 times in its whole life. It's good to go. (laughs) Do you want some royalties for that? (laughs) Well, you did offer (laughs) on this show. I mean, there's going to be 
hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, we're competing with Rogan on this show, just in case you're wondering. Um, you we kind of already down said it. I was, and then they went to Rogan. Yeah, the, heartbroken so I, to Rogan. So when we order our our six Muddy Creek fishing guides rods each year, they're in that step that it's like ready to go, but it's not done yet. Or I, like I, I thought, like the rod was sitting there, and they just like put the label on there, Muddy Creek fishing guides, or whatever number, like to you know, like to personalize it. I thought they did that, and like it was a completed rod. All they had to do that. Boy, were yeah. we wrong. Well, typically, if we have the rods in stock, mm-hmm. uh, and and you want them personalized, typically they just pull a rod out of inventory and then personalize it. All right. Well, that's, that's the whole step, right? Then you get trucks and ship them off and people are happy and they're out catching fish, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Very simple. <clears throat> yeah. It's extremely <laughs> it's simple. Like, just like cutting. Pretty, pretty <laughs> cut and dry. Yeah. It's like cutting a branch off a tree. Pretty much. <laughs> Tying a string around your big toe. <laughs> um all right we're gonna kind of wrap just say can can we ask this one question no um I'm, like <laughs> there, there's so much that's going on oh yeah start to finish what's it take time-wise to uh complete to say a, a basic uh yeah um, so when they when i i believe as soon as the order starts, as far as on the blank side to complete, I believe it's six weeks. So that little rod will march Holy on the blank sad side for six weeks, slowly progressing. Yeah, it's slowly progressing through. Yep. Six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then how, how about on, on like the component side? As far as lead times? Yeah, so you, you they just spent a month and a half over there on the rod-making side, and they show up. How long for that to go through that half oh, of the building? No, no, no. Six weeks in total. Oh, six weeks total. I thought it was just the rod blank side. Okay. No, six weeks in total. Um, and that's so what our, what our goal is right now, and it was higher when we are running, is 300 rods per day is what we're our goal is to produce. That's a lot of inspections. Oh yeah. Three hundred rods per day. That's why there's best rods on earth, Andy. That hey, they don't lie. <laughs> yeah. So and and when we're at when we're running at full capacity we're we're around five or six hundred rods a day. Wow. That is awesome. Really makes me want to take care of my stuff. <laughs> you should, Vance. You should. All those rods <laughs> laying in the bottom of the lake. Yes. Um. It all right. Happens. I got one last question for you before we wrap this up. Sure. And you got to be honest. You got to be very specific. If you had one rod, one casting rod, the rest of your life, you only get one. Oh, the model. Give us all the specifics of it. 
Oh, you guys are putting me in a tough spot. You got to pick. <laughs> I would say a nine foot heavy fast. I mean, it's, it's, it's versatile. You can do just about everything with it. Which model line though? Oh, I would say right now my favorite is, are the Mojo's just from, just from fishing them last summer. There it is. Um, and that's going to break a lot of guys. That's going to break a lot of guys hearts. Cause I know a lot of people love the legend tournaments, but um, yeah. it's, it's hard for me to put down those mojos after fishing them last summer. Is it, is it due to familiarity with it or is it just, you think for the way you are, you like that feel better than the LT? Yeah. I, I like the, I like the wind grips. Um, the blanks are, are way better than the old ones. I mean, they're IPC. You actually have true fast actions now out of those rod blanks. So when you load up on a fish, the tip's going to stay deflected and you're going to keep pressure on the fish, um, which the Legend Tournaments elites, they all do that. They're the same IPC tooling. Um, but to me, it, it was just the wind grips and and the way I fish, they, they really fit with my style of fishing. Split grip on the back or the full cork? Those are splits. They're splits. You know, okay. Yeah, the only time I go full grip typically is for rubber. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's personal stuff there. I mean, that's just personal feeling. Like, I can't, I don't, I can't stand split grip, but it's just me. <laughs> I've had a full grip for too long, you know. Sure. I feel like there's nothing to pin between my. Yeah. I elbow and my waist, you know. I just they, they feel like there's there's nothing there, but that's yeah. the way I feel. I actually cut the butt end of my LT big dog off and jammed another four inches on it from. The, uh, oh. Todd, Todd wanted like four inches cut off of his one rod. So I harvested the cork. I, I Frankenstein my LT. Yeah. And I, okay. I, it's, that's just, I like it. I like it tucked under the arm there and I needed that little extra room there. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right. Mojos are all split grip, right? The mojo line. Yeah. They're all splits. Any other questions? No. I'm good. It was fun. There's a lot that goes into those rods we buy. Absolutely. Yeah, and if uh, I don't know when it'll happen, but if, if you or any any of the listeners are ever interested, I'm hoping eventually we do open back up for rod tours. I know that's something we were doing before before the coronavirus pandemic, but I'm hoping it's eventually something we can get back to because a lot of people who did stop by and, and take a tour of the factory did enjoy it. So getting to see everything. Yeah. Keep, keep your eyes open for that. Anyone in the area here, you know, when things start rocking and rolling, that, that would be a lot of fun. You kind of virtually in your mind with imagination just did a walkthrough, um, you know, with that, I mean, Gavin, thank you for taking, uh, you know, an hour and a half out of your evening to, to do this. I have one more question. Okay. Sure. 
destination place to fish where are you going oh i would say st Clair, just because of where that fishery is at right now mm-hmm. and it's my i've I actually had to go over to Detroit for a wedding and I was, I was pretty bummed that I wasn't able to bring my boat over there and go. But, uh, yeah, I would say St. Clair. Sweet. St. Crack, did we even ask what kind of rig you're running? I don't think we did. No, I, I, I just have a, um, 18 and a half foot Crestliner, um, CMV. Very nice. Nice. Very, very nice. All right. There was some wonderful. There was something I forgot in the beginning plugs with and that was Muskie Zinc. So everyone, uh join your local chapter, Muskie Zinc. It's very important. Um you have a unified voice and you can do all sorts of fun things with a uh the local tournaments and the club meetings and Christmas parties and um you know, it's just it's it's great. You can have some sway with the local uh fish biologist, you know, whatever your, uh, state has, you know, we have a fish commission here in Pennsylvania, but the DNR or whatever it is, um, you get what you put, you know, what you put into it, you can get out of it. So, uh, definitely look up Muskie Zinc and join, uh, be part of the greater good. All right. Now that I, uh, fixed my mistake from early on, uh, one last time, I'm going to say the, um, the little contest here. If you want a free Raptor jerkbait, the best jerkbait ever made, if you ask me, um, you can get your free three kings. You got to give me the next number in the sequence. The first number is 86. The next number is 75. The following number is 30. What's the next one? First right answer. Hit us up through Facebook or Instagram. Timestamp is going to be what's important. And, uh, okay. So I got that out of the way. Gavin, one last time for your plugs. You with us? Yeah. Well, sorry. I missed that. Okay. Uh, hit up St. Croix rods one last time. I'm Gavin Falk and thank you for listening to how the best rods on earth are built. Excellent. And with that, big thanks to Fatty Z Muskie Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, uh, St. Croix Rods. We got Vix Marine, Ranger Boats, and Muskies, Inc. Everyone, uh, good luck fishing. Stay safe.